It's another exclusive interview for the Patreon followers of the Fancy Football Surgery Podcast. Uh, right, let's get into it, Iceman. So, we've had the pleasure of having Peter Blake join us for Game Week 32, up and coming. And we, for you exclusively for you Patreon followers, we have kept him on to conduct an exclusive interview with him to pick his brains about all things FPL. Welcome back again, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for having me back again. <laughs> yeah, back from back. So, um, Iceman, just, uh, do you want to tell the listeners what Peter's kind of achievements have been in terms of rank? Yeah, well, so um, looking at your history, you've progressively got better and better each year, haven't you? You've started off at like uh, 54,000 in 2014. Was that your first season where you, you actually started playing? It's the first season I took it in any way seriously. I, th- I played probably for about five, six, seven years or so back in, uh, when, when would it have been? Sort of 2000s, I suppose. But I, I, it was only in a mini league with friends and it was never taken that seriously, really. But I took a break for about three or four years um, and I got back into it in 2014 when about three days before the start of the season, the guy I worked with made a bet with me that um, he could beat me. So I <laughs> threw a team together oh, nice. and um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and just for the record, him, yeah? I, 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 oh yeah, I demolished him. Nice. It was, uh, nice. it, it was nice. embarrassing for him. How many, so. of our, how many of our guests come on and say they started because of work? It's at work, yeah. in a mini league, there's a bet, there's kind of... Banter. There's status to be gained, and uh, and that's what kicks it off. And then it seems to like just breed these like super FPL players. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the cliche origin story to super a pop FPL. FPL player. So you started kind of fifty four thousand. You went up to thirty three thousand two thousand fifteen sixteen, and then last year was right up to fifteen k. So uh, this year not doing as well, but looking to finish higher than that. Do you reckon? I'm definitely not going to finish higher than 15k this year. I think if I if I can Where's the beat that, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's you know as you as I mentioned in the podcast, uh, Buffal. That's that's what's going to do it for Buffal, me. He's, yeah, he's going to. He will. Yeah. He will yeah he, he's going to get me there. But I, I think I think realistically, my targets this year now I've just got to be to try and beat that 54k and just um, make sure this isn't my my lowest season so far. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I think I've still got all my chips intact, so I'm uh, I think I'm I'm optimistic of a. Yeah, at least you know going up quite a few places between now and the end of the season. Yeah, yeah so, you will. You will. Yeah, just to say to all listeners, we've had Pete on the podcast uh, five times now, um, and I have to say, he doesn't usually hedge his bets on someone like Sophie Amberfell. This is a, this is a one-off situation, so uh, no judgment based on that. Um, Desperation so, is one of this. <laughs> yeah, I've been there many times myself, and still am. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's get into talking about. Let's pick your brain on a few things. So, Pete, first of all, we, we're in double game week um, season, and this is all about sort of planning for many or for the casuals of us out there. It's maybe just something that's last minute. And um, what I'd like to know is, in general, how far in advance do you do you start planning your transfers? Not for double game weeks, but just in general. I think I try and look at it from the other way. Actually, so when, whenever I bring in a player, I'm always looking probably. 10 to 12 weeks in advance i'm looking at their fixtures i'm trying to see what they've got coming on the horizon with those european fixtures you know who, who else is coming back from injury etc etc and at the same time i'm sort of trying to identify players who are coming up in in a few weeks who i might be interested in as well and just trying to sort of navigate a route through to, to how i'm going to get them in 
obviously, you know, real life takes over at that point as well because, you know, injuries uh, come into play. And oftentimes he's sort of forced into a transfer. And I guess, you know, the, with the greatest will in the world, you can't you can't plan too far in advance because oftentimes you get to a point where you think, OK, well, player's injured and realistically with a the budget, there's only one player I can bring in who I really want anyway. So uh, the tra- that transfer sort of does itself. But that, that's why wildcards are so much fun because yeah, I started playing for this wildcard about three or four weeks ago, um, you know, identifying what what the teams uh, I wanted to be involved in, you know, I, I wanted to have involved in my team and then trying to you know, negotiate the budgets and work out which which teams go into what slot, if you like, and then identifying the players from there within them. Uh, and then obviously finding the key players who I wanted as well, moulding them in as well. So it's a tricky question to answer. Um, kind of depends on the circumstances. If, if I have free reign of it, if there's uh, absolutely no, no other conditions, I'll, you know, I'll probably spend quite a quite a bit of time during the week planning uh, what I'm going to be doing, but I'm, I'm usually thinking a few a few weeks ahead. So. Just just an extension to that particular question is um, when you kind of plan a player and you think, oh, I'm going to bring him in. Do you kind of look at a team as well as if like if anything does happen to that player, are you going to like revert to uh, just say if it's Smalling and Jones? when Jones gets injured, you'll just drop off to Smalling or something like that? Or would you move completely away? Or is it kind of, do you look at it team-based at all? I th- yeah, I mean, to, to an extent, I'll, I'll definitely look at the, the team whose players I want to bring in, but also try and get like that, I suppose, with you know players who I know I, I particularly like as well, and try and find that sort of you know, decent marriage of sort of form and fixtures, or potential and fixtures, I suppose, is, is, is probably the main one. I, I never really consider it. Um, so let's say I've got Smalling at the moment. I'm not really considering if Jones comes back, I'm just going to drop Smalling and bring in Jones because that's a transfer gone. Uh, and I may want, yeah, but, but there may be another transfer which I want to make somewhere else in my team. Uh, and it may be in two or three weeks' time the landscape shifted a little bit. And you know, let's say Jones comes back in game week 35, for example, and one of Man United's double fixtures is gone. I may not want to keep a Man United defender at that point. I may want to move it somewhere else. So I've, I've usually got in mind two or three players uh, for each position. Whether that's um, realistic with the budgets available or not, it, sort of, it depends on the it depends on the circumstance. But I'll, I think, with regards to yeah, let's say Smalling specifically, I, I won't be sitting there thinking, okay, how, how can I? Yeah, I'll, I'll just bring in Jones if he gets injured. I'll probably I'll just try and reassess the landscape at that point. Yeah, okay. Nice. Uh, just on that, Pete, what's your view on actually taking hits for transfers? Any, any strong rules on that? Um, I, I sort of did at the start of this season. I think that actually might, might be one of those things that um, held me back a little bit because I, last season I did, I did quite a big survey of um, a lot of managers and I, um, I, I wrote it up for um, the Fantasy Football magazine, yeah. um, which has you know, uh, since passed. But in, in that, I was... Uh, one of the things I did ask about was hits and that there was a correlation between people's attitudes to hits and their overall rank the people who were you know less likely to want to take hits were the people who did better but it's so that sort of colored my thinking a little bit at the start of the season I thought okay well it's these managers who are forced into planning a little bit further in advance they want to think further in advance that's the way to approach it so try not to take hits try to think about every move 10 to 12 moves yeah 10 to 12 weeks in advance and make sure uh rather into the future 
and make sure you've got them. But if you think about it from another perspective as well, it, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the managers who are doing well don't need to take hits necessarily. Yeah, they've got a team and they're up there. Their team's a little bit more solid. So I think I got off to a bad start of the season and it took me some time to recover that. And I guess I'd argue I haven't really fully recovered it now. I, I kind of still had that thought in my mind at the start of the season, though, sort of like the successful managers are ones who don't take hits. And I, even with the sort of rational part of my brain saying, well, it's because they're doing well, that's the reason why I think the illogical part of my brain just sort of kept that in mind. And it made me a bit more resistant to taking in hits. I think next season I'm probably going to be a bit more trigger happy with hits. If things aren't going well, take a minus eight to to turn it around. You, know, you don't need to make that minus eight back straight away. Again, if, you, if you're thinking I'm bringing in a player for the next 10 weeks, you've got 10 weeks to try and make up that minus eight to make it worthwhile. So I, I think in the last few weeks, I think I've you know, been a little bit more open to the idea of taking hits. And I think certainly next season I'll be a lot more open to taking hits. And so just within that, do you ever chase profit and bank build? Uh, at the start of the season, yes. Um, I think because that's when prices are most volatile, certainly for the first six or seven weeks. So I think at the start of the season, with certain sort of you know, budget players, players who are going to be sitting on your bench and uh, you know, before the first wild card, I try not to pick too many players that are highly owned. So I didn't go with Ruben Loftus-Cheek at the start of the season, for example, because he because he was so highly owned. I thought if he flops and everybody sells him, his price is probably going to drop quite significantly. It turns out it, it didn't re- it didn't really, and yeah, you know, he he was playing and it was it wasn't too bad. And in I'm, fact, I've I probably got, got stung. I've still got him. <laughs> I probably got stung a little bit with Tom Carroll. That's an interesting concept, though, because actually what you're saying there is there's a bandwagon everyone's jumping on, but you'll assess actually how quickly and how likely that is to change and then the potential effects of that. That's quite interesting. We've heard that before too often on the pod. And I I think, I mean, the thing, let's take take Loftus-Cheek as the example there. He was somebody who'd only played sort of a handful of top-level games, but just because he he was young, he was English, he was from Chelsea, and he was going into Crystal Palace and Everyone thought he's going to play. There was this immediate hype around him, uh, and everybody thought, okay, he's going to be amazing. And he did line up in the number ten position. His season has been hampered a little bit by injuries, and I'm, I'll be, I'm being a bit unfair on him to say it's been a disastrous season because it, maybe it hasn't for him. But in terms of if you've got a four point five million pound midfielder who everybody's bringing in, and he's got like you know ten, fifteen, twenty percent ownership. Again, if he if he doesn't perform. And everybody sells him because another 4.5 million midfielder comes on board quite quickly. That other player's price is going to rocket, and the other player's price is going to fall. And I guess I was looking at this. I noticed this the other day. I'm, just, I'm going to have a quick look at this while we're we're talking now. But if you look at the defenders uh, and their price, uh, and let's look at 4.5. There's not many 4.5 million defenders left. There's probably what's it four on that page. And there's probably about 10 on that page as well. Everybody's 4.7, 4.6 or 4.4 um, because obviously they, they, they fluctuate up and down. So yeah, even in the budget players, I was, you know, I, I, I try again in the first few weeks of the season, I tried to sort of protect against falling value wherever possible. I don't necessarily try and build value as much um, straight away. I think it's just about protecting loss because if you've got good players, they're going to go up in value anyway. It's just that in the fringes of the squad, you, you kind of want to 
you know, try and protect yourself against falling value because those are the players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek you're not going to want to transfer out. You're not going to want to waste a transfer on a 4.5 million midfielder. You want those transfers for the big key players who you can continuously rotate. So it's about finding the balance um, there. And again, I, I think this season I didn't necessarily get that right because I think in retrospect, I probably would have you know, gone a few more uh, premium, defend- yeah, premium defenders rather than the budget defenders. But it's... it's, it's strategy and i think under other circumstances it would have worked so great answer like it um thank you so that's kind of transfers in terms of i think more tactically now are there any particular formations that if you've got to toss a coin on it you'll generally sort of fall back into three five two three four three what's your kind of preference i think historically i've always done four uh sorry three four three um just as yeah as a default but i i I did a a piece of my blog uh, earlier in the season where i looked at um i'm trying to remember exactly what i did now but i basically looked at um how much value there is in certain positions and the conclusions i came to was actually the the very expensive strikers aren't they're not great value for money in sort of terms of you know points per million you spend on them but obviously they're worth having because of, of what we do. And what I discovered actually was the midfielders are the ones that are most consistent, you know, in, in the sense that you get what you pay for. The more expensive they are, the better value you get, you're going to get value for them. And I, I can't remember the exact conclusions from it, but since then my thinking has been very much geared towards five in midfield. So, three, you know, three or four at the back, back probably yeah. one, maybe two premium strikers up front and then having you know, strikers on the bench as well. That's only been a recent development. They've only been sort of this season. And the numbers are one thing. And, and looking at stats over the course of you know, three or four seasons is, is one thing. But the actual realities of a, a week by week, you've kind of just got to pick the best players for your budget. Formation's always sort of been secondary in my mind. I'm, I'm definitely thinking more now about investing more money in midfield. I mean, if you look at my, you know, look at my wild card which i'm doing at the moment i've got you know 9.9 million 8 million 8.8 million 8.2 million 5.7 million yeah there's no there's no tom carroll in there yeah there's no ruben loftus cheek there's yeah yeah, bufal is cheap and arguably i've done that so it can afford a bit more money in defense and it can also uh enable abamyang and lukaku up front who i think are the two i really want to go for at the moment but arguably i could sell lukaku bring in firmino put that money into bufal and go for another eight million midfielder and that would be a formation I'm pretty comfortable with, to be honest with you. Interesting. Well, you, it's like you read my sheet in front of me because the next one of the questions was going to be the best position to invest in, but you've given us a great answer on that. Um, okay. So in terms of within that formation, we I think you've touched on this earlier in the in the previous podcast, but um, high-priced defenders often splits opinion. So when I think about high price, I'm thinking kind of 5.5 million plus. Would you guys say that's a fair... A fair value to place in a higher price defender. Yeah, yeah, five yeah. How many, how many high price defenders do you generally? I know the season might be a bit different. How many higher price defenders do you generally have five point five and above? I mean, typically, what I'll do is I'll have two five point five or around that value and above, and then three cheaper ones. And what I like to do at the start of the season is try and map out, yeah, the season and and try and work out what. What those three rotating are going to be based on the best fixtures it never really works out to be honest with you there's always you know I, I like to have two of them on the bench and one play in and then always have one of those players who's got a good fixture um so I, i'll always do that at the start of the season but again it never really works out um the way you think it's going to because no one ever keeps a, good, a clean sheet but i mentioned earlier i think the i think my strategy has not been great this season 
purely on the fact I haven't necessarily had enough premium defenders in there. Uh, you know, I spent far too long without a Man United defender or goalkeeper when they was keeping clean sheets every week. And this season, I mentioned on the podcast, this season I think has seen the definite shift towards the top six being so dominant in possession. Yeah, the other team's just not getting the ball, and therefore, you know, they're less likely to be scoring. I think I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the stats are there to actually defensively back that up, but the stats are there to say that the the big teams are having possession more, which inevitably leads to the other team having less possession. So I think it wasn't something we we necessarily new at the start of the season and the the game now I suppose is to try and work out whether that's going to be a continuation uh, next season in that trend or whether some of these smaller teams are going to think well hang on I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at Wigan, who went beat Man City, and I'm looking at Bristol City, who gave Man City a good game, and they did so by attacking them. It remains to be seen whether the, the managers of these, you know, the other, let's say, 14 clubs, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 clubs, re- reinvestigate how they approach the games, whether they think, okay, we can take on, you know, Pochettino's Tottenham and attack them and get in, you know, get in their faces a little bit, because that's the way to win those games, and whether we can do that against Man City, whether we can do that against. You know, you know, uh, Liverpool. That's that's going to be the key over the you know, over the summer to see whether if there's managerial changes. You know, what kind of players are they bringing in to try and preempt really what sort of what sort of season it's going to be? Because I'll be honest with you, this season took me a bit by surprise in, in terms of just how dominant the top six have been, which it probably shouldn't have done because it's been going that way for a while. But in terms of possession, it's taken me a bit by surprise. Okay, interesting stuff. So. Um- a little bit of history and nostalgia for your FPL career now. So, inspired okay. you that are lagging behind, what's the what's the best move that you've made and the biggest jump that followed? You, that might have to be answered separately, but best kind of move that you recall making, thinking that was awesome. Right, I think I was quite pleased with myself earlier this season when I wild carded in uh, Raheem Sterling yeah. uh, because he was he started the first few games on the bench, and I thought. I, I was sort of okay with him doing that because he was scoring uh, a few times and I think immediately he went and scored a couple of goals against Crystal Palace and yeah. Yeah, became one of the must-own players for the season. So I, I, was, I was reasonably pleased with that move. Last season, I took a punt on Omar Nias for Hull because I, you know, but purely as an enabler to, in order to get Harry Kane in, I think, at the time. Uh, but he went, he, he started on the bench and I was just like, oh, for God's sake, it's yeah, typical, isn't it? But he scored two goals against somebody and I thought that was that was pretty good fun as well. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, so a couple of players that were perhaps lesser priced and then sort of came good. Um, can you recall what your biggest jump's ever been in terms of uh, rankings in the game week? I, I, th- I think right at the end of last season, game week 38 was, was pretty good because I think I was down at around 45k and it, it was just that week where everybody scored. Basically, everybody... In- my yeah. team scored. I think Harry came as my captain. He scored two in you know first fifteen minutes or something, uh, and I jumped up to fifteen k at the end of the season, which was way better than I thought it was going to be. So I, I, I don't know what my I don't know what the best jump has been, but that's certainly the, the week which I the came out thinking, certainly. yeah, that that yeah, was like that that went well. That that will sustain me through the summer. That one. So <laughs> I mean, just that, that's what I think. Just having one of those weeks when all of your picks come in, you get that great score. It just makes FPL so worth it, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So satisfying. Um, conversely, biggest cock-up you've made. Right. Um, I, I will personally share, first of all, not make you feel worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Edward Barrow scored four times against Newcastle last season. He blanked a couple of weeks before. Um, I actually took him out that week. Um, <laughs> Daniel Sturridge, uh, Captain Sturridge, got two points because Sturridge didn't... Uh, 
play the full 90 or got booked or something. Aguero got four against Newcastle and the three bonus. And, um, and I was never the same again. That might have been the, the season. <laughs> That's the season you <laughs> finished above me, but he finished in 6K overall. So considering you never captained him. I remember it and I was uh, I was actually very happy that you didn't at the time because you were <laughs> flying. But yeah, that's a brutal Lovely. that one. Brutal cock up. But uh, what about yourself, Pete? Any, any sort of clangers that you can say, yeah, I don't want to do that again? I think um I think I mentioned mentioned it earlier. I think this you know, in terms of the punts I've taken, I think earlier in the season I thought uh, I I bought in uh, Bakayoko at Chelsea because he was getting a few yeah. shots in. I thought five, 5 million that's, that's, that's an absolute bargain. Yeah, he's uh, he's looking like he's cementing his place in the team. Um made it public as well. Went on Twitter and said this is what I'm going to do. This is a really, really good idea. I think um I think Richard Kenny on Twitter spoke up as well and went yeah yeah good yeah go, go for it. I'm I'm all in on this. <laughs> uh and that's that's something I uh, people like uh, you know, Tom Campbell, especially uh, whenever Bakayoko does anything stupid, he'll tweet me immediately and go, Pete, he's at it again. I'm like, <laughs> nice. yeah, 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 I know he is, isn't he? He's, uh, he's, he's <laughs> so, uh, that's, that, that's, that's one that haunts me. Um, it will continue to haunt me, I think, uh, for, <laughs> throughout uh, the rest of my FPL time. Yeah, yeah forever uh, associated with Bakayoko now, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's have a look at any, I guess, coming back to kind of picking your team. So where are you? I mean, you provide a lot of info yourself, but what, what's your main sources of info that you draw from to make your decisions? Uh, uh, good question. I think uh, whoscored.com uh, I really like. There's yeah, just good good chalk maps and uh, yeah, uh, touch charts and things like that on there. So yeah, you, I, I usually spend a couple of hours as each week just you know going through them having a look at the you know, statistically what's going on and you know, what the game looks like um obviously try and watch match of a day as much as i can as well um whenever possible don't get to see that many live games i don't think i know, I know there's a bit of a i don't want to say there's a debate but there's kind of sort of different schools of thought about you know whether you go for a pure stats based approach or whether you go for a uh, you know watching live games i think there's as with everything, there's a blend of these things. But I, to be honest, I don't get to watch as much uh, football as I'd like uh, for, you know, for, for, for various reasons. But I think the sources I go <laughs> to... I, <laughs> I um, Yeah, I mean, de- def- definitely who scored. Definitely try and watch as much as you can. Yeah, if you can't do that, though. Uh, Fantasy Football Scout, the members area there, I think, is really good. Um and because yeah that, that's where i get a lot of yeah that's where i got a lot of stats and i plug those into the models which i i've built in order to try and sort of identify um potential players as well so that's a good one the twitter community and uh, and podcasts i think are, are good as well just for you know harvesting a lot of ideas um and it's really just about sort of triangulating information from there on in as well and just saying okay what the stats telling me what's What's the eye test telling me? What's the wisdom of the crowd saying as well? I think it's important as well to listen to sort of non-FPL podcasts as well. Um, just yeah, just other football podcasts generally. They will tend to focus on the big six teams, um, so you won't pick up much information about you know, which Burnley defender do you want to pick up and stuff like that. But they're quite good at sort of uh, assessing overall trends and you know, things like uh, you know, the, the atmosphere around a club. So, you know, what, what's Conte feeling at the moment? Has he had a row with Abramovich? Uh, what's he saying in his press conferences? What's his demeanour like, etc.? Yeah, everything going on at Arsenal and uh, you know, the atmosphere in the club there as well. It's, it, that's 
sort of stuff that you won't necessarily get from you know fantasy football podcasts specifically. But uh, like I say, there's um, there, there's the other side of the coin is that you won't find out yeah you know, which Stoke defender you should be bringing in for a blank game week because they just don't even mention that sort of thing. So really, just try and uh, I, I I try to I try to listen to a lot um, and I look at stats as well and triangulate the information there around what other people are thinking as well and just have right. a yeah. an eye test as well. Nice. So actually, a lot by the sounds of it, a lot of uh, a lot of doing your homework there. So the last uh, few questions, um, in terms of the casuals, what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone that just plays every now and again, wants to start taking it a little bit more seriously? Any advice? I think... Other than the two, than the two hours of advice you've just given, but in general. <laughs> That's a really good question, actually. I've got, um, I, I, guess, I guess have a plan. I know I said this at the start of the podcast, but I mean, you know, understand that FBO is, is a game, uh, and it's, it's it, it bring with that it brings its own strategy, uh, and there's a way of there is a way of playing the game. It's it's not about necessarily. I think I, I guess some characters that I know think about it in terms of I, I, I'm pre, I'm trying to show off my knowledge of football, and there is obviously a very heavy element of that, but actually as a game as well because yeah when yeah when you play the chips and how you utilize them how you understand and manage price rises to get that extra two million pounds at the end of the season when the second wild card comes in when you use the first and second wild cards and stuff like that i understand understand that it's a game and it's not purely about football it's about it's about something else as well it's about gameplay and it's also about statistics it's a game of probability as well so don't think don't think oh i reckon this is what might happen. Think of what is most likely to happen. Yeah, what? Yeah, look, looking at betting odds, for example, is actually quite a good thing to be doing. So, yeah, you know, yeah, overall goal scorer odds, overall, you know, chances of clean sheets, they're pretty good indicators as to what is most likely to happen in any individual game week. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I've answered the question there. I, but, I think uh, there's, there's a few. There's a few things. There's a few people things. There, 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 yeah. Thank you. Right. Um, Peter, that, that's gonna, we're going to wrap up the interview now because I think we've got absolutely loads of great stuff from you there. Last question, the most important one we ask every guest, just to get to know them. How do you like your eggs? Uh, poached. Fair, fair. Yeah. Plain and simple, like it. Nice man, are you happy with that? Yeah, happy. Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> Peter, uh, fantastic, great interview. I'm sure the, the Patreon followers will um, benefit a great deal from listening to what you've said there. Um, thanks for joining us once again. No um, worries. Thanks again. I, I know you plugged it on the other part, but what, what are your? Where can people find your blogs and find you on Twitter for those who haven't listened to the the usual podcast? Yeah, so the blog I write is mathematically safe. Um, I haven't updated that in a while, um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of sort of there's definitely a back catalogue of various different research pieces I've done um, around FPL uh, and its correlation with the statistics. Um, and on Twitter, I'm uh, mathsafe underscore uh, FPL. So yeah, but by all means, come and say hello. Brilliant. And, try okay. and, and by all means, try and talk me out of the the, uh, the Buffal punt as well. I'm, I'm happy to be around on that if uh, someone can tell me it's absolutely a stupid idea because I think it might be. So. Well, when uh, I mean, some people might be listening to this in the future, so they may have insight to what actually happened. But uh, <laughs> yeah. great you on Peter um, and uh, from all of us here. The Fantasy Football Surgery podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your continued support on Patreon, and we'll be uh, turning out more interviews as time goes on. 
great interview. Cool. That's great, Peter. Thank you. No worries at all. Thanks for having us on again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank so. you very much. Okay. Good stuff.